Do you have a favorite passage of Scripture? How did it become so meaningful to you? Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus for another great study with our teacher, the late Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, in just a few minutes, we'll hear Dr. McGee's favorite verse, and that is Philippians 1.6. But first, here's a quick introduction to get us started. Now today, before we get into our study, I want to say that the first verse we'll be looking at, and I'll spend some time with it, is my life verse, and I become rather emotional when I talk about it. It's meant so much in my own life. And I would like to preface the entire study with more or less of a theological statement, and it's just simply this, that we came out of the book of Proverbs. We were challenged there by many things that we would to do and things we were not to do. We are not to be a liar. We are not to be a sluggard. We are not to be a gossip. We are not to be lazy. We are not to do many things. But no power was given to us there. And when you come now to the epistles, you find that power has been given to us. And this verse reveals that. Now he that hath begun a good work in you. Now has God begun a good work in you? Has he saved you? Well, if he saved you, then it was his work. You see, God has the world shut up to a cross. And he's asking the world to answer just one question. What do you do with my son who died for you? Now, until you answer that question, God hasn't anything else to say to you. But now, if you have answered it, then God has a lot to say to you. He's begun a good work in you. Now, he wants to perform it. And he has now many things for you to do. But you're not to do them in your own strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. That's what Paul's going to say. And you find out you're not alone in this. The Christian's not alone. And he sent the Holy Spirit to take the things of Christ and make them very real unto us. If you want to find out more about God's saving grace, or you're already sharing it with others and you need a little help, just visit ttb.org and click on How Can I Know God? There you'll find some really great resources by Dr. McGee that you can read and listen to. Again, that's ttb.org or call 1-800-65-BIBLE if you'd like to receive a couple of these resources by mail. Now, that number, 1-800-65-BIBLE, is also the number to call if you'd like to request some of our free Bible bus passes. We've mentioned these before. Each card contains a little QR code and our website. You can order yours today and pass them out to whoever you want to share God's Word with. It's really a great resource. It's about the size of a business card, fits in your wallet perfectly. Now it's time for our study and to hear Dr. McGee talk about his favorite verse. It's a very meaningful and personal message. You're going to love it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word that doesn't return void. Bless us as we study today. May the truths that we learn overflow in our hearts and then give us the confidence to share you with those around us. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Now hop aboard as we're off to Philippians 1 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, last time we came to this very marvelous sixth verse in the first chapter of Philippians, now being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, 
First of all, let me say this, that I was a very poor boy when I went away to college. The fact of the matter is, my dad had died, killed in an accident in a cotton gin in southern Oklahoma. And my mother took my sister and myself. I was 14 years of age, and we went to Nashville, Tennessee, and I had to go to work. I had to get a permit in that day for a boy 14 years old to work. And I worked for a wholesale hardware concern. I got the mail of a morning. I'd get up at 5 o'clock, and I'd go and get the mail and take it in and sort it and have it on the desk of all of the officials in each department of this great concern. Fourteen-year-old boy, actually, there was no place for him. I should have been in school. I wanted to go to school. And so I had the privilege later on of going back due to the fact I had a wonderful friend. He acted as a father to me. He had a son that was a drunkard, and he wanted him to get a college education, and the boy didn't. And so he helped me and got me a job to tell the truth. I had to work. But I was able to go to college. And every year, though, I thought it would be my last year. I never thought God would ever see me through. I had very little faith. And then when I came to my last year, the Depression had come. Many of you may be able to recall 1928 and 29. They were bad years. And I couldn't get a job. I'd had no money. And when I got my degree in the morning program, I went back to my room. I sat down on the bed. My roommate came in and said, Mac, what in the world's the matter with you? You look like you lost your best friend. Well, I said, I'm through. I said, here I've graduated from college. I can't go to seminary. I don't know what to do. I haven't a job. I'm going out in the morning and hitchhike a ride back up to my where I lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and that's it. I'm through. And I had very little faith, as you can see. Well, a telephone rang, and they said it was for me, and I went down the hallway, and it was two dear ladies. That is, one of them was on the phone, of course, and she wanted to know if I could come by and see them that afternoon. They were with us. They owned a plantation down in Mississippi. They were really well-to-do folks. And so they said, could I come by? I never dreamed what they had in mind because they'd already given me a necktie for graduation. I thought that was it. Well, I went by there that afternoon. And when I went by, I went in. I knocked on the door and rang the doorbell. A maid came to the door, went in, sat down in the living room. And then in a minute, one of them came in. And they were dear little ladies. But they looked like they walked out of before the Civil War. They had one of these high collars on and a big cameo pin right out in front. Some of you ladies can remember that. That really takes you back. And they dressed like that. But they were lovely folk, and they were really well to do. So they came in, and we had a stilted conversation there for a minute or two because, very frankly, we talked about the weather, and we talked about me graduating, and they congratulated me. Then one of them said, well, I know that you want to get on your way, that you'll be leaving tomorrow. And so one of them got up and came over to me, and tears came down her eyes, and she handed me an envelope, and she says, I'm giving you this in memory of my husband so that you can continue to go to school. And then she went and sat down. The other one got up, and she came over and handed me an envelope and said, I'm giving you this in memory of my husband. 
And so after that, we had a little more conversation. I thanked them, and they said, we know you want to go. So I got out of there as quickly as I could, and I went around the corner as quick as I could so I could open the envelopes. Nobody see me. I opened the first one. There was a check in it for $250. I opened the second one, and there was a check in it for $250. I wonder if any of you folk can remember how much $500 really was during the Depression. I was a millionaire. <laughs> That's what I was. And when I went back and told my roommate what had happened, he said, well, I guess now you can buy a bus ticket. I said, are you crazy? I'm going out and hitchhike because I'm going to arrive in Nashville with $500. And friends, another $100 was added to that from an unknown source. At least I didn't think I was going to get it. I taught in a Sunday school, and they'd had a banquet for me that night, a farewell banquet, and they gave me a check for $100. I had $600. That's what I went to seminary with the next year. And you know, that night at the banquet, somebody gave me this verse, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that's been my life verse ever since. Now, will you look at that verse with me for just a moment here? He says, he will perform it. And he begins, however, by saying, being confident, it's really causative, since I am confident of this very thing. Paul knew what he was talking about. And he says that he that hath begun will perform. Now, the word for perform means carry through. He'll consummate it. And the day of Jesus Christ, you and I today are not living in the day of the Lord, and we're not living in the day of the Old Testament. We're not living in the day of the millennium, and we're not living in the day of eternity. We're living in the day of Jesus Christ that'll be consummated when he comes to take his church out of this world. And the Holy Spirit has sealed you and me until the day of redemption. Paul said, you'll recall in Ephesians, this is it. And that until then, you can count on God to consummate. Whatever he intends for you, he's going to see it through. My friend, that's the most wonderful thing that I know of in the Bible. Now, will you look at that right now? Is this practical for you and me? Will you listen to me now very carefully? And I do not know who I'm talking to, and I do not know what your circumstance is. But I have a notion I can say this and be accurate. God has brought you up to the present moment, hasn't he? Every one of you. Oh, I see everybody's saying yes. God has brought you up to this very moment. And you can say, thank God he's led me up to the present moment. Well, friends, why do you think he's going to let you down? You think now he's going to turn loose of you? I thought that. Oh, I went through college. I never enjoyed it. I never had joy because I never believed he could do it. I just went each year and, oh, my doleful, I graduated. Graduation was a happy experience for all of us. I could see these rich kids, their parents throwing their arms around me. Nobody there to throw arms around me. Don't misunderstand. I'm not whining, but I thought I was through. I thought that this is it. And I had a heavenly father that day that put his arm around me, and he said, I'll see you through. Wonderful to have a heavenly father 
And I want to say this to you today. That has been the comfort since I have had cancer in the lungs to know I got a heavenly father, and he's a good doctor too. He's a great physician. He said that whatever I've got in store for you, I'm going to see it through until the day of the rapture. So I'm in his hands. Well, with that kind of a background, friends, and that to rest on today, doesn't that make you feel joyful? We ought to have the joy of the Lord in our hearts. This is a great verse. Oh, I have held on to this in a dark night when the storm outside was just beating against my little bark, and I thought I threw. <laughs> but he said, you're not, I'll not let you down. This is a great verse. Let's move on. Verse 7, even as it is meat, and that's the old Elizabethan word, even as it is right, even as it is right for me to think this of you all. Here we are again, you all. I hope you folk understand what he means. He means everybody. Because I have you in my heart. Oh, isn't that a wonderful place to carry your Christian friends? Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers. Now, here is that same word, koinonia, only it's intensified now with a preposition soon, which just means that they were just all wrapped up. As you remember, that lovely woman, Abigail, said to David, you are wrapped up in the bundle of life with God. And that's what Paul really is saying here. As far as being partners in the gospel, you and I just wrapped up together in this great enterprise. You know, here in Southern California, I'm having the greatest experience of my Christian ministry. And I'll tell you what it is. God has given to us certain friends, and I have a wonderful board here, the board that is back of the through the Bible, made up of some wonderful Christian businessmen that I've known over the years. And then we have some men of reference across the country. And these are friends and there have been others, and they're just bound up in the bundle of life with us in this great enterprise of getting out the gospel. You're partakers of my grace. That grace that has saved me and enabled me to keep giving out the word, it's the same grace that has enabled them to be a partner that we couldn't carry it on without them. It's wonderful, friends, to be bound together like that. You see what I mean that now when I say that here you have the tender feelings of the Apostle Paul for this church in Philippi, and he was closer to them than any others. It's wonderful to have Christian friends like this that they're sharing with you in the great enterprise. There is that sympathetic cooperation besides the spiritual communication, and then it always produces sweet communion. How wonderful it is. Now, he goes on. For God is my record. How greatly I long. Now, notice this. I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Somebody says, shush, don't say that. Well, let's say it, because this is not a crude statement. When I read it like this one day, a dear little lady, sweet thing. I'm sure she'd never heard a bad word in her life. 
She came up to me. She says, oh, Dr. McGee, don't read it like that. That's crude. Well, I said, that's the way it is in the Bible, and that's the way that I think it should be read, just as it is. Now, may I stop a moment and say this to you, that this is really a very marvelous statement. I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Now, this actually means, of course, tender feelings, if you please. It means tender feelings. And I long after you all. And it means the tender feelings of Jesus Christ. This is something that's quite precious. Now, it's good psychology. I was speaking in our Thursday night Bible study years ago. And at that time, we had attending it a man who was a psychology teacher out at USC. He was a very fine Christian, by the way. And he always helped me with my psychology, generally after I'd made the statement, though. And then he enabled me to be a little more definite about it the next time. And I was mentioning the fact about this particular expression that Paul was speaking of the tender feelings. And afterward, he said this to me. He said, you know, the average person thinks today that everything he does is because he's thought it over, that he's very smart. And he touched me on the head and he said, you know, very little really happens up there. You can see the man knew me. He says, very little happens up in your head. He says, that is really a very marvelous telephone exchange. He said that that comes in over your sensory nervous system, over the axons and dendrites, up through the synaptical connections, from the hand, a message that goes up to the brain. He says, for instance, you touch a hot stove, and then immediately the message goes up to the brain and says, you crazy fool, why don't you take your finger off of that? It'll get burned. And immediately there is a transfer made over to a motor neuron. And the message goes down over different synaptical connections, and it says to the finger down there, you better get off of this. You're going to get burned. And you just take it off quick as that. And you don't think... Somebody says, well, I did that without thinking. Actually, that's true, but there was a connection made up in the brain. Great many folk drive like that. They drive without thinking. I think that's quite obvious. He says that is what really takes place in the brain. But he says when you were a young man, first time you saw your wife, do you remember the feeling that you had? He says, where did that take place, in your brain? He said, no, that took place down inside of you. And then he pointed toward my tummy. He says, that is where you're motivated. Why, he says, if you were in a burning building, somebody said fire. Why, he says, it doesn't take place up there in the brain. But he says, down there, a few glands that start working. One says, Ooh, he says, you better get in gear. And he says, before long, you got out of that building without even thinking about it. What happened? Well, the thing that happened was that you're motivated down there. And he says... Down here is where you live and move and have your being. So here, this is a very wonderful thing. This speaks of those tender feelings, the most wonderful thing. And Paul is saying here, I long after you, not because you've given me something. It's not something he's thought over. This is not mental. This is something that has to do with his emotions. And he says, I deeply long for you.
This is a wonderful expression. And then in verse 9 he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Now he speaks here that their love might abound in knowledge and in judgment. And the word for judgment is discernment. Now there's more silly thinking today about this word love. Very frankly, I get letters like this. This one came to me from Pompano Beach. And this party writes, Last night I heard your program over radio station here. You sure gave me the surprise of my life as to what you said about the leaders of this nation. You also said that certain evangelists spread damnable heresies. Maybe I heard you wrong. Anyway, doesn't Jesus say in his holy word, Love your enemies? Do good to those who hate you. And may I say to you, the Lord Jesus had some very harsh things to say about the religious rulers of his day. He said that you are of your father the devil, and the works of your father you will do. And he even talked about their mother. He says, you're a generation of vipers. In other words, your snake is your mother. I don't think you could be any harsher than that. And I certainly wasn't that extreme. And this part has certainly misunderstood me. But coming up with that little verse, love your enemies. If you want to know the truth, I'm having difficulty loving my friends. Some of them are not lovely, but they're wonderful friends. And we're to love believers. And some of the believers are a little difficult to love. And they are the ones that I think we're to love. Now, Paul says, let your love abound, but more and more let it abound in knowledge and in all judgment or in all discernment. You be sure who you love. Now, I've prayed for years. When I used to drive in on the freeway to the church in downtown Los Angeles, I would pray. I'd say, Lord, I'm going to meet some new people today. I don't know how to treat them. You do. There's some of them I can help. I can put my arm around them and help them. But some of them, if I put my arm around them, they'll put a knife in my back. Help me to be able to discern the ones I can help, the ones that I should express love to and the ones I shouldn't. Your love is to be expressed with discernment and with real judgment, by the way, and with real knowledge. Don't run around and say today you love everybody, because if you say that, you're one of these do-gooders that we read about. This old boy had been going to missions for years. He got tired of hearing that. He needed to hear the word of God that he was a sinner that needed to be saved. And then he becomes a child of God through faith in Christ. We need to be very careful today about who we love, my friend. That's what Paul is saying to these. We'll have to leave off there, but we'll pick up there next time. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. For more teaching from Dr. McGee in Philippians, join me on Sunday for another of Dr. McGee's never-before-aired sermons, Life Begins. That's from Philippians 1, verse 21. To download our app and listen online or see if your local station covers the Sunday sermon with Dr. J. Vernon McGee, just visit ttb.org. ttb.org is also where you can find the resources that I mentioned earlier and so many more. Or you can always call us. The number is 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help you find something in particular. And when you're in touch, be sure to tell us what you're learning as we travel through God's Word together. We love to hear from you in forms of letters as well as Facebook posts and emails. For instance, Alexander in Croatia 
is such an encouragement to us all. Listen to what he says. The choice to listen to God's word through this program became a turning point in my life. With each lesson, I discovered truths that profoundly touched me and changed my perspective on the world. I am a changed man. And then here's a great note. This is from a fellow listener in Poland. I spent so many years in prison, I've lost so much time unnecessarily that it's beyond my head. I have had enough of this kind of life. It has finally got to me what freedom is. I learned the truth that I acted as a person should not act. I will live modestly, work, avoid the advice of bad colleagues. I want to live according to the word, which I now understand better and better. Thank God I am finally his child. Isn't that an encouraging letter? What's God doing in your life through his word? What did you learn in Proverbs? Or maybe what are you looking forward to learning in Philippians? You can leave us a message anytime at 1-800-65-BIBLE. You can write to us by email at biblebus at ttb.org. And we always love those old-fashioned letters with stamps. It's Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, you write to Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. I'm Steve Schwetz, and as always, I'm going to save you a seat next time as the Bible bus rolls along through God's entire Word. grateful for the faithful and generous support of Through the Bible's partners, whom God uses to take the whole word to the whole world.